0: continue in our study of grace, more than we deserve and greater than we imagine, we're going to look at forgiveness. Each one of us has had challenging events and trying circumstances in our lives. Each one of us has had hard times that really set us back, that has made forgiveness difficult. Listen to the story of a woman driving home from her niece's piano recital and what happened to her less than a block away from her house? It was a cold night on November 12, 2004. Six teenagers in New York brought a 20-pound frozen turkey with a stolen credit card. While speeding down Sunrise Highway, 18-year-old Ryan Cushing threw that frozen bird out the window at the passing car as a prank just for the thrill, not realizing the consequences of his actions. That frozen turkey hit Victoria Ravolo's car at a combined impact of about 100 miles per hour. It shattered the windshield, breaking the steering wheel, and then smashed into her face as the car crashed. The kids never stopped. They never called 911. A passing car stopped and called for help. She was taken to the hospital with life-threatening injuries. Her face was crushed. Nearly every bone in her face was broken. Her left eye was hanging out. They feared permanent brain damage. She awoke several weeks later after many surgeries with no knowledge of what had happened. She had three titanium plates holding her left cheek together and one on her right. She had a special screen to hold her left eye in place. Because her eye socket was completely destroyed. Miraculously, she lived. And miraculously, she suffered no brain damage. But it wasn't hard for the police to find out who did it. They took the label off that frozen turkey. They found the store in which the frozen turkey was sold. Then they watched the security cameras. And they found out who bought that turkey. The police got all the other kids in the car to plead to a deal so that they could prosecute Ryan, the one who had bought the turkey, the one who had frozen, who had thrown that frozen turkey out the window. He was charged with first degree assault and other serious offenses, which brought a possible sentence of 25 years in jail. That's quite a tragic story. We'll discover how it ends later. But each one of us has our own tragic story. Each one of us has our own hard story to tell. Now, no one in here was hit with a frozen turkey. Our stories are very different. Some of us have challenges we face that had to do with physical pain. But often the stories of our wounds are not the type that you see with your eyes. They're not the type that get fixed at a hospital. But they are nonetheless just as real and just as life-debilitating. What do we do with those life heartaches? What do we do with those unforeseen life difficulties? What do we do when someone else messes up our lives? What do we do when forgiveness becomes hard? How do we respond? I think Jesus wants to teach us today how to extend forgiving grace. Jesus says in John uh, 13, 15, For I have given you example that you should do just as I have done to you. The example that Jesus gave for us in John 13 is the example of forgiving grace. He gave it to us so that we could in turn give it to others. So open your Bibles with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 11. We read this incredible story Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Then Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. But is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. What powerful message these verses have for us today. You know, unfortunately, so often I think that the main point of this message, of this passage, is missed. We often just summarize this passage as the main point that Jesus is teaching humility. That is certainly one of the main teachings of this passage. And Jesus is teaching us humility in this passage. Jesus, their Lord and Savior, took the role of the lowliest servant of all by washing their feet. That's an amazing act of humility, service, and love. But I think the main point of this passage is really grace. It's really forgiving grace. Because of Peter's, you know, speak before you think tendency, we're given this real insight into what this passage is all about. We will see as we go through our passage today that Jesus did the foot washing to illustrate our daily need for cleansing and forgiveness. You see, we all need that regular washing of our feet. We all need that daily cleansing of our daily lives of sin that we so easily and so regularly and so willingly walk right into. So this passage teaches us about Jesus' forgiving grace, his forgiving grace for us. And it also challenges us then to have that forgiving grace to others. Let's look at four steps today, forgiving, forgiving grace. The first step is to acknowledge who Jesus is. The the first three verses there of this chapter are some of the most powerful verses about Christ's divinity in all the Bible. Verse 1 there talks about his omniscience. Jesus knows the future. He knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world. You see, nothing took Jesus by surprise. He knew what was coming and he steadily pressed on, being obedient to his purpose and plan. Verse 1 goes on to talk about his love, uh, because God is love. Jesus is love. At the center of God's divine attributes for all of us is his love. He knew what was coming. He knew that the very people that he was loving in that upper room would abandon him, would deny him, would betray him. And what did he do? He loved them even more. See, the first verse ends there. It says that he loved them until the end. Although those are the correct translated words, I think they miss some of the nuance of the meaning. I could say, I, I love my wife to the end. Or I could say that my love for my wife is endless. You see, the idea isn't here that Jesus loved up to a certain point, but that he loved them completely. One commentator put it this way, to the fullest extent, is a better rendering of the original Greek than to the end. It doesn't mean that Jesus continued to love the disciples only up to the end, but that his love has no limits. You see, Jesus' love for us has no limits. It is complete. It is full. It is divine love. Verse 3 is a great verse. It describes not only Jesus' omniscience. He knew that he had come from the Father and that he was going to the Father. Jesus wasn't confused. Jesus wasn't conflicted in any way. He knew where he had come from. He knew where he was going. But this verse also describes his power and authority. God had given all things. God had given all things into Jesus' hands. He knew that he had the power to do anything, anything he wanted. He knew he had the authority to command legions of angels to come to his defense. He knew that he had the authority to command Satan and all of his hordes of demons to do as he pleased. He knew that nothing could happen to him without his full consent. He knew that he had the power to stop it all. And he knew he had the the strength and the will to endure it all. God had given all things into his hands. Jesus willingly and knowingly gave his life. No one could take it from him. He gave it freely. He was sovereign. He was the one in control of all circumstances. Jesus was fully aware of his earthly destiny, of his divine origin, of his total authority, and he accepted and executed God's eternal plan of salvation perfectly. So what does he do immediately after this? After John describes this Jesus and all of his deity with his omniscience and his authority, what does Jesus do next? He gets up from the table, takes on the role of the lowliest servant, and washes his disciples' feet. You see, the first step for us To freely give out God's forgiving grace is to remember who Jesus is. You see, we're not omniscient. We have no idea what our earthly destinies are. We have no power to command our life circumstances. A lot of our life circumstances come like frozen turkeys through a windshield. That kind of stuff happens to us all the time. How will we respond? Will we lash out to this cruel world and say, you're unfair? Will we, will we place blame, always living our life as a victim? Will we shake our fists at God and cry out in despair? Or will we respond in faith? We don't know why it happened. We don't understand all the possible ramifications. We're, we are confused and conflicted. But will we respond in faith? Will we respond in faith to so the only one who is not? Confused and conflicted. Will we respond like Paul did when he says, But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Will we respond like Job? He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord take away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Will we in our brokenness look to God with open hands and an open heart and respond in faith, saying, I I don't want this circumstance in my life, but I accept it, and I will allow you to use it for your good in and through me. We could say, I don't want cancer. I, I don't want to get laid off. I don't want my spouse to leave. I didn't want my dad to do that. I didn't want my parent to die. I don't want the circumstance of my life. But I will accept it and I will allow you, Jesus, to use it for your good in and through me. I acknowledge that you are sovereign, that you are all-knowing, that you are all-powerful, that you are all-loving for me. I can put my full and complete trust in you. You see, step one of Giving forgiving grace is to see with the eyes of Jesus, to have the perspective of Jesus, to have real faith in a real Jesus who really is the God of the circumstances of our lives. Step two to forgiving forgiving grace is to be proactive. See Jesus, knowing all that he knew, his impending crucifixion, the betrayal of Judas, The denial of Peter, the cowardice of his closest friends. He got up from supper and he reached out to each one individually with forgiving grace. That's a powerful grace. Jesus was proactive. Even though every one of the men before him would literally in minutes or hours away hurt him. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. He took on a towel, wrapped it around him, poured a picture of full of water in a basin and knelt down in front of his disciples and began to wipe his, their feet and to clean them with a towel that he was wearing. I'm sure, first of all, there was some noise and some commotion in that room. What was Jesus doing? Why is he getting up from supper? It looks like he's going over to the foot washing stuff or something. Then he turned around and came to that first disciple and he bent down before him and he tenderly and lovingly and humbly took his feet into his hands and washed his feet. The silence in that room would have been so noticeable. Everyone was even breathing slow because they didn't want to make any noise. They literally couldn't believe their eyes. They had seen Jesus do amazing things for all these people. But to be so humble... So loving, so gentle, so caring. And personally, to each one of them, it was an amazing, powerful moment. Proactively serving someone who doesn't deserve it. Proactively forgiving, giving, forgiving grace to someone who doesn't deserve it. Taking that first step of reconciliation is divine, it's beautiful. It's powerful. In our hurts, we can sit on the sidelines and grumble. In our pain, we can call our friends together and have a pity party. In our brokenness, we can plan revenge to break them. In our unforgiveness, we can cling to anger and bitterness. Or, we can be proactive. We can move toward the healer and receive his healing, receive forgiving grace from Jesus for ourselves, and then in turn respond to the one who hurt us with forgiving grace. Jesus could have wrote those disciples off. Soon each one of them was going to hurt him, and he knew it. But instead, he proactively reached out to them in loving grace. Forgiving grace is proactive. The third step to giving forgiving grace is to be humble. Being proactive and being humble go hand in hand. You know, most of our world sees humility as a weakness. Most of our world sees humility as soft, as getting walked on, as being used. You know, if most of the world sees it one way, you can probably bet that God sees it the other way. See, humility is the very mark of a fully devoted follower of Christ. Because humility is one of the very distinguishing characteristics of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to these few verses about Jesus and his humility. Mark 10:45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Second Corinthians eight and nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Hebrews four fifteen for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but who in every respect was tempted just as we are, yet without sin. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Philippians two five through eight have this mind among you which is in your which was in Jesus Christ who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in a human form he humbled himself to becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross our Jesus was humble. Our Jesus had a humble heart. And we as his followers, we as his disciples must have the same. What's the one thing that destroys churches? What's the one thing that ends relationships? What's the one main thing that separates family? Pride. An unwillingness to be humble. An unwillingness to show grace. An unwillingness to extend forgiveness. Living in pride is the quickest way to destroy... Living in humility is the quickest way to restore. Why was Jesus humble? Because he came to serve and to give and to become poor so that we could become rich, to become weak so that we could be made strong, to be gentle and lowly and light so that he could bring us rest, to be obedient so that he could bring us salvation. He came to restore what was broken. He did that all for us. Now we as his followers must respond In the same way, we're to be humble. We're to restore what is broken. We're to serve and to give, to extend forgiving grace, even to those who don't deserve it. Because that's what Jesus did for us. And what Jesus did for us, he will equip us to do for others. Do you want restored relationships? Do you want personal wholeness? Be humble. Well, the last step here in our passage, is to offer forgiving grace. First, we acknowledge by faith that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, the God of all the circumstances of our lives. Then we respond proactively in our faith, taking that first step toward restoration with humility, just like Jesus would do. And now we offer grace. We offer our forgiveness. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Seeing that upper room and the quietness and the questions of the disciples Jesus offered forgiving grace. He washed the disciples' feet. He washed James and John's feet who were just seeking the seats of power and influence. He washed Peter's feet who would soon deny him. Not just deny him a little bit, but deny him three times and deny him with an oath that he ever even knew him. He washed the feet of the other disciples who would cut and run at the very first time Of trouble. And he washed Judas' feet. Think about that. He washed Judas' feet. The very feet of the very person who would betray him for money. The very person who would start the whole crucifixion scenario in motion. See, here's where the rubber meets the road. And we can learn an awful lot from Peter's exchange with Jesus in these verses From John 13, we see Peter in all of his boldness, emphatically telling Jesus that he would not allow him to wash his feet. You know, he doesn't politely ask Jesus not to wash his feet. He doesn't suggest to Jesus, you know, Jesus, I don't think it's appropriate for you to wash my feet. I mean, you're my Lord. No, he emphatically proclaims as a command to Jesus, you will never wash my feet. Peter, I'm sure, was thinking that this whole thing was just way too humbling for Jesus. If anything, he was thinking, I should be washing Jesus' feet, not Jesus washing my feet. But Peter responds to Jesus' humility with pride. We're also blessed, though, by Peter's outburst. Because Jesus' response to Peter fills in the details of the example, the pattern, the truth of what he is giving us. the washing of the disciples feet even though peter's response was brash we can tell by peter's further response to jesus that really his heart was in the right place jesus responds to peter's proclamation if i don't wash your feet you have no share with me then we see peter's heart responds he says then wash all of me you know not just my feet My hands and my head. Peter's saying to Jesus, I'm all in. I want every part of you to to be in every part of me and every part of me to be in every part of you and to be fully connected. See, here now is where we get this explanation from Jesus on the meaning of the foot washing. Jesus says, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. But is completely clean and you are clean. But not every one of you. You see, Peter was clean. And so were the ten other disciples. They had been washed. They had been saved. They had this permanent union with Jesus Christ. Jesus knew there was one there who wasn't. Judas, who wasn't washed, who was not clean, who was not saved. You see, the picture of washing of the disciples' feet has to do with the daily cleansing from sin. It has to do with their need today to stay in daily communion with God. Those who have bathed only need their feet washed. They had union, but they needed to stay in communion. If you're a believer in Christ, you have a permanent union with Christ. You've been washed. You've been saved. But you need daily cleansing. You need your spiritual life daily cleansed to stay in communion with God. We have union But we need to stay in communion. The picture Jesus drew by his actions and washing the disciples' feet, cleansing them from sin, extending, forgiving grace. That picture is spelled out for us in 1 John 1.9, a verse that many of us know. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As believers, confessing our sins to God should be a regular occurrence in our lives as the washing of feet was in New Testament times. We need the cleansing from sins that we so readily and willingly walk right into. So the question is, how is your communion with God? Is it current? Are you and God on the same page? Are your feet wet? Has Jesus washed your feet? Are you regularly coming to Jesus, confessing your sins, and receiving his cleansing? Now it is from this God-given place of forgiveness, this Jesus-purchased place of forgiveness of grace, that we can in turn then respond forgiving others. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Our standard of forgiveness is not our ability to forgive, but God's ability to forgive us through Christ. See, the standard of our forgiveness is not our ability to forgive, but God's ability to forgive us through Christ. And what God has called us to do, he will equip us to do. At the very heart of receiving forgiveness for our sins is our response to forgiving those who sin against us. You know, Jesus put it this way in the model prayer. He says, and forgive us our debts. As we also forgive our debtors. As a true Christian, we can't help but forgive. Because we have been forgiven so much. Remember the parable there? Jesus told of forgiveness in Matthew 18. It says the king is settling his accounts with all the people who owed him money. One man came in owing the king 10,000 talents. Listen to this now. A talent is worth 20 years of the average salary worker. So that means that this man owed the king 200,000 years worth of money. To say the least, it's a ginormous amount of money. He couldn't pay. So the king ordered that he and his whole family be sold as payment. The man falls to his knees begging for mercy. Have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And out of mercy... The king released him and forgave him that whole debt. But then that very same man went out and found a man who owed him 100 denarii and started choking him and demanding that he repay him immediately. A denarii was worth about one day's uh, labor. So this man owed the other man 2,000 times less than he owed the king. The man begged for mercy. But the man gave him none and instead threw him into prison until the debt was paid. Well, the news reached the king. He summoned the man and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not have you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Do you get that? Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant? Should not you have had mercy on that one Who owed you the debt as I had mercy on you? Here's the lesson of that parable. Since God has forgiven us, we ought to forgive one another. Because God has forgiven us so much more than we could ever forgive one another. Extending forgiving grace is God's plan for our life. But that doesn't mean it's easy. Perhaps you're dealing with a hurt, a wound, a a brokenness that's lingering in your life. Perhaps you've tried to stuff it down and and your resentment and bitterness is growing only now to have the Holy Spirit bring it back up to you again. Well, today is your day to extend forgiving grace. Take a moment and look down and remember your feet are wet. Should we not follow his example and extend forgiving grace in your life? Maybe today you need to remember and acknowledge who Jesus is, and proactively respond in faith and in humility, go to the one who has hurt you and extend forgiving grace. Remember Victoria from our introduction? As a trial date uh, was arriving, she inquired about Ryan. She wanted to know, did this boy intend to harm her? Was this boy responding in arrogance or was his heart broken by his actions? Upon the insistence by Victoria, the district attorney uh, changed the charges with the crimes that had added up to 25 years in prison and agreed to a plea bargain of six months in jail and five years probation. The DA said with crime victims, normally they have the opposite reaction. And death doesn't even satisfy them. She's just an extraordinary person. Stopping to speak on... To her, on the way out of the courtroom, Ryan choked on an apology and began to cry. For an intensely emotional few minutes, Ms. Ravolo alternatively embraced him lightly, stroking his face, patting his back as he sobbed uncontrollably. Many of the two dozen people in court, the prosecutors, the court officials, the judge, the reporters, choked back tears. She said to Ryan in court, God gave me a second chance, and I want to give you a second chance. Victoria then began volunteering with the Suffolk County Probation Department, giving presentations, including pictures of her damaged face to teenagers and young adults in a conflict resolution program. When Victoria stands to address the crowd, she's often met with gasps of surprise. With the healing, both inside and out. That has been so complete. She has embraced this. She has made this message part of who she is. But she knows that she has changed and she thinks she is better for it. I'm trying to help others, but I know for the rest of my life I'll be known as a turkey lady. Victoria said with one of her frequent smiles. Could have been worse, she said. He could have thrown a ham and then I'd be Miss Piggy. Folks, extend forgiving grace. It will not only free the one who has hurt you, it will free you to grow more deeply in your relationship with Christ. It will free them, but it will owe so much more. Free you. Extend forgiving grace. Remember, your feet are wet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the power of this story that teaches us to extend forgiving grace. Lord, each one of us in this room have had some really difficult things done to us. Each one of us in this room have experienced heartache at deep and significant levels. Sometimes through physical pain, a lot of times through other kind of pain. We've been driving along and a frozen turkey came through the windshield. We weren't expecting it. We didn't understand it. So, Lord, we come to you now. Right now, we come to you. Acknowledging Jesus and who he is, the God of the circumstances of our lives. We thank you that those circumstances came to us so that we could grow and change and mature and give them back to you for the good that you want to do with them in our lives and to others. We come to you now and say we are proactive and we are humble. And Lord, we want to extend forgiving grace in our lives. May right now, as we think about those hurts, Lord, right now, help us to decide today to extend forgiving grace. Because you did for us. In Jesus' name, amen.